Hi, Anello Watch fans, and welcome to another edition of The Real Time Show with me, your friendly neighborhood watchmaker, Rob Nuts, and my co host, Alan Ben Joseph, the friendly neighborhood jeweler, calling in all the way from the Netherlands. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, and I'm working on my scheme of becoming a wannabe watchmaker because we're doing more collabs. Last week, uh, we aired the fun interview with Hakim El Kadiri of Elka Watch. And we announced there that we launched our first collab, a set of four watches, which was amazing. Thank you for all the feedback. It has been tremendous while we're recording this. We launched officially this morning, but uh, we had already some uh, friends and family sneak previews. So I'm very honored and humbled. So thank you for all the feedback. That's good to hear. Yeah, they're wonderful watches, and I can't wait to see how they're received by the public in general. I've seen some prototypes in real life. And I have to say that the really wide and curved dials of Elka's initial range are really, really something to get excited about. And they look so good with that blue sunburst that you've got on your pieces. But we're not here to talk about all your beautiful watches in your beautiful boutique, Alan. We're here to answer questions from our listeners and explicitly from our network because the network is growing. If you don't know what the real-time network is, it's our private WhatsApp chat that anyone is welcome to join. If you just send us a message via one of the usual channels, either Instagram, our contact form on the website, or our email addresses, which are either rob or alon at therealtime.show, then we will add you to the group and you can be part of one of the fastest growing communities in the industry, I have to say, and there's a lot of interesting stuff flying about. First question, this is a really good one. So I'm going to put it top of the show because it might take us almost an hour to answer. This is from David Lafferty, came to us from the contact form. His question is, with a budget of 30,000 US dollars, if you were looking for a vintage or neo-vintage or current production model for a perpetual calendar with a leap year function included naturally, with a minimum diameter of 35 millimeters, what models would you consider? Precious metal, preferably. Okay, Alon, I believe that you have a couple of models top of mind. So why don't you go ahead and answer this one? Thank you for the question. I love, love, love perpetual calendars. One of my favorite complications. I am sad to say that in my current collection, I don't own one anymore. I downgraded in functionality because I went down to an annual calendar, but I upgraded in elegance and slimness. So, um, so cool question. And I want to suggest something, Rob. Obviously, I always have a few on my mind that I or love or that I recommend for people to go to when they're hunting one down. So I'm going to list them, but I want to propose something. Why don't you and I on air in real time navigate online hunting one down as if we're one and buy one so i usually do ebay chrono 24 i look at watch base sometimes i don't know pricing of models so what do you think of that idea yeah i love the sound of it okay you take ebay i'll take chrono 24 we'll start with your off the top of your head recommendations and then we okay. will do it live on air see how we see how we fare okay okay go ahead okay okay so growing up and I'm from 79, vintage 79, the perpetuals I knew were Patek Philippe perpetual calendars. Then in 85 came Herr Kurt Klaus with Da Vinci and a perpetual calendar built on a Valjoux 7750. That blew my mind. 
So I remember my dad having one. We retailed them. So that, that blew my mind because my dad taught me it was all set with one crown. That blew my mind. And I had the honor to spend a lot, a lot of hours with Google Klaus. We've hosted events in our boutiques in Switzerland. I even went with him to private events at my customers' houses. So I had them a few hours in my car, all to myself, picking his brain, which was amazing. And still, when I run into him at fairs, he's always lounging, whatever the hour of the day, with a glass of whiskey. So we're sipping whiskey together. So amazing, amazing gentleman. Really a living genius. You understand I'm passionate about IWC, and it's actually that IWC that I let go, which was the perpetual calendar Portuguese in pink gold. Always loved that watch. Still do. But the older I get, the slimmer and smaller I go. But for somebody looking for a awesome perpetual, I always recommend check out the IWC perpetuals. Now, unfortunately, they went up extremely in price, and I don't even know today what they retail. I know they made one in stainless steel that is around 30, but the question specifically says precious metal preferably. So then we need to opt for a pre-owned one. And I'm very curious what we're going to find on our live described hunt on the online platforms. Second one that comes to my mind, I've always loved the Gégé Lecoultre Master Thin Perpetuals. They have, they have moon-phased calendars. They have programmed calendars, so either annual or up to a leap year, so max four years. And for those that don't understand all these variations, we usually call a watch a caliber a perpetual calendar if it has a programming to be able to make a difference between a leap year or not. So when it can bridge a leap year, it becomes a perpetual calendar. And this is a question for you, Rob, because I hear some people in the industry calling a Quantiem perpetual. The interesting thing about Quantiem perpetual is that Quantiem in French doesn't mean quarter. It means calendar. So it's just a name that was applied to a type of perpetual. So I believe the first perpetual calendar to have the QP name was made by Audemars Piguet. If I'm wrong there, then please, one of our listeners, get in touch and correct me. But it caused a lot of confusion because those early QPs from AP didn't have a leap year indication on the dial and they had to actually be set up by a watchmaker. So you couldn't adjust it yourself. It had to be like tuned to the right time and then, you know, you would be given it. And now I think the term QP has kind of been picked up by lots of other brands and is used interchangeably with perpetual calendar. I've never noticed any distinction myself. I didn't realize that there was a, a difference uh, or a, a perceived difference between the two. But when I dug into it, I realized that in the early days, there was quite a lot of confusion about him being confused with annual calendars. But uh, yeah, so for my money, a QP is basically just another name for a perpetual calendar. Thank you for that. Let's do a Q&A just about perpetuals. That's what I suggest. And we do our homework properly. And I think you and I should maybe one time go into a monastery and study French. Like uh, there's a monastery in Holland, what they call them the nuns, and they teach you just hardcore French. And a lot of my Dutch friends do it. It sounds awful, but okay, yeah, let's do that. 
I'll bring a lot of beer. Okay, I'm into it. That's fine. You should have said, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's learn Slovakian while we're there. Why not? Hey, you know, let's, let's do them all. Let's do all the languages. Yeah. Okay. Good one. That's going to be fun. I'm, I'm quite sure my wife will be happy. My two to go to perpetuals are always top of my list. So IWC and Jezjal Kulte. And when I think about why, and they share DNA, is because they were the first to do a full year indication on the dial. So literally four digits. That really spoke to me. Then I jumped to Patek Philippe Calatravis, but you have to go pre-owned. And even on pre-owned, I don't think you'll make it with 30K, but we can see what our searches and our queries online find now. And off topic a little bit, uh, one perpetual calendar that I am actually put on my own wish slash wrist list is the Frédéric Constant perpetual calendar. They made their own in-house manufacture perpetual calendar watch, which I actually like very much because they put it in a modern shaped case with action integrated bracelet, which is the high life. So that really, really resonated with me. And the cool thing is, um, the first ever collab with Red Bar Crew, I believe, was with Frédéric Constant. And they made also a perpetual calendar in a beautiful red dial, which our mutual friend Adam Craniotes rocks a lot. So he inspired me to put that watch on my wish list. What about you, Rob? QPs or perpetual calendars or anything like that, and not something that I generally have on the top of my wish list. I have on occasion worn annual calendars from JLC that they've been kind enough to lend me while uh, I was working with them directly a couple of years ago, but I've never really been a QP fan. So this was a really interesting exercise for me, and I very much liked your suggestion of mining through Chrono24. So I'll just explain the process that I went through to answer David's question. First thing I did was open up Chrono24.com. Now, depending on where you are in the world, it will take you to your local version of a site in your local currency. So because David specified 30,000 US dollars, you first have to either put yourself on the US website or just do a conversion so you can see what kind of stuff you can get for a similar amount. So I actually initially ended up on the UK website for whatever reason. I think I've got a VPN running in the background. And I converted 30,000 US dollars to British pounds initially. So that came out at 23,000 pounds. So I typed into the search bar perpetual calendar. Very simple. And then I went on to the filter section, which you can find just below the initial search bar after the featured models. Okay, so you'll get a few models that pop up right immediately at the top of the page. You have to skip past those, and then you can get down to the filter section. It's a black box on the right-hand side of the screen next to a lot of drop-down menus. Ignore the drop-down menus. Go on the filter section because it'll get you where you need to go faster. First thing to do, David specified he wants a case made of precious metals. So we go on the case that's on the left-hand sidebar menu, and we click on all of the different versions of precious metals. So we'll go gold steel because maybe there's some nice bicolor, palladium, platinum, red gold, rose gold. I'll ignore silver because it's probably not high-end enough, and there's probably not too many of them around. I'll ignore tantalum as well. Uh, White gold and yellow gold. Apply filters. That leaves you with 2,477 results. It's quite a lot to work with. Okay, filter. Go back to the filter. We'll go down to the price. This is a slide bar. You can drop it down to exactly 
what you're willing to pay. So I will land this on 23,000 British pounds. Apply filters. Now, one thing you can do, and it's actually wise to do this, I think, if you're not keen on a nasty tax surprise when a watch arrives with you, is to filter out certain locations or basically filter in the locations you're happy to buy from. If you're in the EU, filtering in all of your EU locations is wise because you know that you're not going to get any cross-border taxes. Be mindful if you live in European countries that are not in the EU, like Norway, for example, because you will get slapped with their uh, VAT, which is 25% in Norway. So that can be a really nasty shock. The biggest one to avoid or to be mindful of at least, not always to avoid because sometimes it's worth it, is Japan. So when you see watches listed in uh, Japan on Chrono24, you'll often find them to be firstly in very good condition and secondly, to be surprisingly affordable for what they are. You will get hit with uh, import taxes when they arrive so at least factor in 20 percent plus whatever the cheeky importers want to charge you for holding the watch or like doing their job you know so be mindful of that now david because he asked for dollars i'm guessing he's in the states so we'll kick it down to the united states of america that leaves us with only 171 options within his price point in precious metal with the complication that he desires one more thing case size now this one isn't gonna knock out too many pieces because he said at least 35 millimeters so on chrono 24 you have everything grouped into popular case size this is a really smart system we've got 25 to 30 30 to 35 35 to 40 we'll click that 40 to 45 we'll click that 45 to 50 we'll click that and against my better judgment we'll also include 50 to 55 in case david has a predilection for large watches we apply that 148 results a very manageable amount of listings to go through right off the top now what i've done is i've selected five pieces four of them fit within this search one of them actually falls outside of it but i saw it as i scrolled past it and i couldn't ignore it because i absolutely adore it and no matter where you buy it around the world the import duty should keep it under david's budget of thirty thousand dollars so we'll get to that one last because it's probably my top pick firstly surprise surprise as alan rightly said we have an iwc portuguese perpetual calendar this reference number is IW503301, inventory 3863. It's a gray dialed model with a white gold case. It is extreme stealth luxury. It has the year digitally represented in the bottom left-hand corner between seven and eight. It has the months at six. It has the days at three. The date at three, sorry, and the days at nine. It has a moon phase at 12, and it is something very, very special. It's a lot of watch for your money. Uh, it's priced at $20,999, so that works out £17,000 for anyone's interested from our different territories that we speak to. 44.2 millimeters, it's a big boy, it's a heavy bugger, uh, you know, made of white gold, but it comes with a black croc strap, so it will probably wear quite comfortably. You can see the movement through the case back, and it's an absolute peach. Very nice watch for just over 20000 bucks. That's my fifth pick fourth position going for some local bias here it's a glassator original senator excellence in rose gold 42 millimeters it's got a day it's got a month it's got a big date it's got a beautiful moon phase between seven and eight and it's got a really clear and easy to use leap year function at 12 o'clock now don't expect much activity on that you'll only see that move once a year but it doesn't 
hide any information from the wearer. It's a really clean watch. It's in the center line. It's very sharply designed. You know, these watches, to be honest, a bit like a lot of Jaegers, they are boring on the screen and they are heaven on the wrist. So do go and try one of those on if you can. As an owner of a Glastatura Ganal, I can attest to the quality. And this one is one of the finest. Price-wise, $26,896 or $21,795 in British pounds. And it's negotiable. The seller is in the US and they're a professional dealer and they've got a rating of 4.9. You can see that on the right-hand side of this listing, a little bit down below the tab that says your Chrono24 private client advisor if you case, in case you need any help. Next one, third on the list. Blanc Pain Le Mans, perpetual calendar, reference 2685F-3630-53B. Pre-owned, very good condition, $26,950. This is a really nice Blanc Pain, the kind of case shape that you don't see too often anymore. It has a pretty busy but very palatable dial design. We've got a moon phase at six. We've got the days at nine the date at three the months at 12 and then the leap year within that same month subdial at 12 it's a powerful looking thing it's a really nice watch it's really really compact its sizing is uh palatable on the wrist 40 millimeters wide 18 karat rose gold case with some pretty low profile pushes yeah can't really go wrong with something like this Okay, next one up on my search list. I have chosen, surprise, surprise, it had, there had to be one here. This is the number two pick of mine, and it's the top pick in the US for me, and that is a Jaeger La Culture Master Ultra Thin Perpetual Calendar, Q1302520. Pricing, $25,250 or £20,461. Oh, what a watch. It's classy beyond compare. In my opinion, this is what you want if you're going to be buying a QP. 39mm case, rose gold material, sapphire crystal, champagne dial, heavenly layout, a really nice old school blue and gold moon phase at 12. Uh, we got the date at 3, we got the days at 9, we got the month at 12. We got the month at six, and then between seven and eight, we have that digital display of the year again. And then right in the middle, you will notice just above the center of the dial, there's a little tiny aperture, which on this image is white. Now, I'm assuming, I haven't seen this in a leap year, but I'm assuming that probably turns red during a leap year or something along those lines. That's got to be what it's there for, I'm sure. So it's a beautiful watch, typical, elegant finishing from Jaeger uh, La Culture and the case back view is to die for but my top pick my sleeper you're gonna have to go all the way to the middle east to pick this one up but i tell you considering it's coming in at nineteen thousand eight hundred us dollars with an original retail price of forty eight thousand us dollars this jacques Adro astral reference number j03053320 on a croc skin band is absolute heaven it is just so serene to look at it's got a retrograde date function on the right hand side it's got a retrograde day function on the left hand side it's got a month indicator with a leap year aperture at 12 o'clock and it has a very artful moon phase complication at six the hands are quirky to say the least for the retrograde there's some wavy hands with little crescent moon tips and then you've got really nice really clear very long perfectly proportioned sword hands for the hours and the minute and oh 
my word, does it get any better than this? And that, <laughs> funnily enough, I believe, is the cheapest on my list. Yeah, you might have to pay some import duty, but let's say you pay 20% wherever you're having it shipped to, it's still going to be under $25,000. For me, that's an absolute winner. What do you think of that rundown, Alan? Music to my ears. I'm, I'm, I'm getting all excited. I'm, I'm in the mood to buy a perpetual calendar now. But amazing first position because I didn't know that watch. And while I'm listening to you, I Googled the picture. It's indeed a very cool watch. And that's what I love about these sessions is you tumble down rabbit holes and you end up with watches that aren't... I didn't even know that model. So I actually learned something new again, like almost every episode that you and I record. So I really enjoyed it. So my to-go is also Chrono 24 first because I'm based in Europe. Now, in the US, eBay is still the strongest. And since they launched their authentication service, I really think these guys are rocking the watch world in a positive sense. Um, they expanded that service now to the UK and they're thinking of expanding to mainland Europe. I believe every watch above $2,000 being sold on the eBay platform is first shipped by the seller to a authentication service by eBay. And only if it passes that test, it's shipped on to the buyer. So I think that's amazing, really adds value. So the confusing thing about eBay is they really run their platform localized, meaning in the Netherlands, they'll kick me to eBay.nl, but I prefer to search on .com because A, there are more watch listings there. They will integrate um, uh, listings from their subsidiary sites in other countries, but make sure that you know what you're looking at. And if you're really hunting down a specific model, I recommend to do the query, the search on all these separate eBay sites because they don't give the same weight to a result if it's not from that region. So if you're looking at .com and the listing is in Europe, it, it won't show you that easily in the search results. So going to eBay.com, I simply type in perpetual calendar. And that gives me over 19,000 results, but it's in all categories. The search engine understands I'm looking for a watch. If I look to the left on desktop while I'm doing this on the desktop, I immediately filter out all the quartz and non-specified calibers, and that gives me 2,300 results. So I dumped over 16,000. I assume it's for a man, so I filter on a man's watch, gives me 1,800 results. And then since we said already that the budget is 30K, I make the max 30K. If I scroll a little bit down, you can put the parameters for price, minimum and maximum. For now, I just fill in maximum and gives me still 1,600 results. Um, so I'll maybe say, because I've seen the results, I'm getting watches for $95, Raketa which are very cool, vintage Raketa watches, so Russian watches. But I'm quite sure these are not perpetual calendar. And if they are for $95, I'm going to buy one for the fun of it. But let's say everything below 5K is hardly a real, real 
beautiful mechanical perpetual. So I'm filtering it down between making a band with a 5K to 30K gives me only 324 results. Then we already specified that we want 35 and up. Um, because we're on a US site, I guess they round up the metric system to either up to 35.9 and 36. So I'm choosing 36 to 39.9. And then I'm adding one more. I'll go up to 44. About 44 is really too big for me. And I suggest try to buy a bit smaller. Gives me 249 results. And we want it precious. So this is a bit annoying. And I hope eBay is listening. Maybe a upgrade of your features. You write case color, but no material. So I'll choose gold, but that doesn't always mean that the case is precious, right? It could be plated. But okay. And I don't know if it's yellow gold, white gold, platinum. So I have the option to choose silver, but that can be steel. I can choose yellow. So that's maybe gold, but I find that a bit annoying. But filtering those out brings me down to 55 results. And this gives me a joy to scroll. So I have a sort function set to best match on the right hand top corner, but usually I do high to low because we have a clear cut budget. So my first top five results are interesting. An Amiga Speedmaster, 3650, 18K gold. They say perpetual. Well, I'm not sure if it is, but that, uh, that's a cool piece. H. Moser, Chopin, Cartier, Ademar. And here is the Astrale you were mentioning. And this doesn't come from the Middle East, it comes from the US. So actually cool piece that, as we said, I've never seen it before and really speaks to me. And there's some long so, and then we go down to the 20,000 brackets, and then there's the IWC, Jijal Le Coultre, that I was referring at. Now, if you want to go for the safe bet, I would go for, again, the IWC, or the Jijal Le Coultre Mass Control, both in rose gold, and the IWC I choose is 42 millimeters. It's the IW502213. And that's actually my old love. That's the watch I was wearing because 44 millimeters is really too big for me. And you did have the first Portuguese perpetual calendars with the double moon face. And I believe those were also 44. So make sure that you compare the right things with each other. So the safe bets for me are those two. If you want the odd one out, then... I choose the Frank Mueller 5850 QP Perpetual Calendar, 18 carat yellow gold, 32 by 38 millimeters, the famous or infamous tunnel shaped, the barrel shaped case, the Casablanca, just below 20K, 19,700. I think a super cool watch. If you want an odd one out and you want these OG and 80s, 90s vibe, um, I see that the Da Vinci's I was talking about, the 85 generation, go for even as low as $8,350. And Rob rightfully so pointed out, keep in mind those taxes 
So I usually recommend when you start your search, try to look within your geographical or tax area and only hone out. So enlarge your search parameters when you can't find what you're looking for to save a lot of headache on import, taxes, duties, etc. Um, so the funny thing is I'm, I'm going to throw a curveball. If you really have 30 to spend, why not choose one for 20 and one for 10? So you can mix it up even. That's pretty good. So that's quite efficient use of cash. You know, we ended up with two perpetual calendars for $30,000. It's amazing how affordable, and I, I know this is like pretty rarefied air we're breathing here, but how affordable such high complications are in comparison to like the hype pieces of the day. I mean, think about the comparison of the watchmaking on display. One of the pieces you've referenced or one of the pieces on my list versus like an all gold GMT Master 2 Rolex. I mean, it's madness, isn't it? Yeah. And I stand corrected. I found not in the filters. There is case material. So you can filter on case material. So I apologize. Um, it was just not folded. So it was folded and I had to unfold that subsection. So it's there. And and maybe it's just my ignorance and, and I don't scroll enough on eBay because my to-go place is scrolling 24. But it's interesting. And, and when I keep on scrolling, there are a lot of Rolexes there. But I guess that gave a hit on the search results because um, Rolex uses Perpetual, right, for their, uh, it's even their hashtag in all their adverts because it's an automatic movement. They call it Perpetual. So there are ways to filter out, but I'm actually super impressed with what you can obtain with this budget. So super cool. Um, and then obviously as a Dutchman, I need to end my portion with some Dutch pride. My newest watch on my wish list is the Christian van der Klau perpetual calendar. And I want to leave it at that. Well, you can't say fairer than that. That's some pretty good selections. I think David will be I hope inspired by some of those choices that had the unwanted effect of inspiring me and I, by the sounds of things, Alon as well, to buy another watch. Like I really, I've always had a thing for Jacques Joe ever since I worked for the Swatch Group, and um, oh God, it's been off my radar for a while. The last one I really lusted over was the Serpentinite Special Edition with the beautiful stone green dial and a moon face. But now I find this Australian, I think. Full rose gold, perpetual calendar. I have nothing like that in my collection. And $20,000, I mean, it's a lot of money, but that's pretty good value for what it is. You know, when you think about the retail prices and basic hype pieces, like I was saying. So, okay, David, thank you, I think, for the question. <laughs> Keep them coming. Uh, we, we're always learning. And that was an interesting exercise for us to go through our preferred search platforms and see what is available today that fits your criteria. All right, so next question. Let's go for one from Juk Janssen. This came in via IG, maybe one of your cohort, Alon, given the name. He says, you mentioned Damascus steel in your previous episode. What is that? Alon, do you have any experience with Damascus steel, if not a technical breakdown of what it is? Any anecdotal stories for us? I don't actually know Yup. But it's a it's a Dutchman, so thank you, you for your question. And the funny thing is, I've always loved Damascus steel, and I originally knew it from knives and swords. Yeah, the first watch I've ever seen with Damascus steel, I think was Arty, Archie. Yeah, Archie. 
and I've never held one. Um, I love the the layered design of the steel. It reminds me of, let's say, limestones and, and malachite, etc. So it reminds me of a stone. And and it, it brings me uh, vibes of, 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 of swordsmiths and samurai sword makers. But I'm actually very curious to hear your knowledge about Damascus steel because I actually don't know enough about it. So I'm actually very happy with this question. Ah, well, I hope I can live up to that. I, I can maybe give an intro into it. I'm not a metallurgist uh, myself, but from what I understand, Damascus steel is a form of crucible steel or really a name given to crucible steel. And we'll get into why it's called Damascus in a moment. But crucible steel is made from melting pig iron, iron and sometimes steel, along with other fluxes such as sand, glass, ashes, and so on and so forth, in a crucible. And the reason for this is that steel and iron were very difficult to melt in the past because of their high melting points. But pig iron, because of its high carbon content, actually has a lower melting point. So that meant that you could get it into like a liquid form, mix it with other elements, and create a very... Nice, strong, uh, durable, and potentially uh, sharpenable material. So it was used for swords, like you said, uh, quite commonly in the past. And it is visually identified by this swirling, I always thought it looked like wood pattern, but it's described more really in technical terms as a, a water pattern, like this flow of steel. And I believe that those patterns in it are called dendrites, which is one of the calling cards of Damascus steel. And it gets its name, well, it gets its name from one of several places. It could either be from the city of Damascus itself and the patterns that are associated with that city, which you probably will have come across in interior design rather than watchmaking, or maybe from the word Damas, which is the root word for watered in Arabic, and that could be a reason for it as well. It could be because of a specific swordsmith called Damaski, who is mentioned in ancient texts by Al-Biruni as a maker of swords of crucible steel. So we don't know exactly why it's called Damascus. Some people call it Wootz steel, like W-O-O-T-Z, and that, again, maybe comes from an erroneous translation of the Sanskrit word Utsa, which means fountain. So there's a lot of water links to it as to why it might be called uh, Damascus. And I'd probably be inclined to go with with both of those, with Wutz and with Damascus, because of the commonality between them. But simply put, it's a steel with a lower melting point that has this incredible aesthetic. It has been turned now into applications for which it had never been used before. And we've seen them in watch cases. I know mostly uh, GOS of Sweden to be producing them. I've had GOS's dials and cases in my hands, and I have to say they are very, very beautiful. It's a bit of a divisive material, in my opinion, because it's quite a lot. You know, there's a lot going on. And for me, it's not something I'd actually cover wearing at all. I think it's a bit too ostentatious, a bit too 
flowery, uh, I suppose I would say. I, I like more utilitarian watches. And although there's nothing wrong with Damascus as a material from a functional perspective, it's just a bit ornate for my liking. How do you feel about it, Alon, as, as a material in watchmaking? I think it's super cool. And, and while I'm listening to you, I, I got a childhood memory flash back into my head because um, you might know that my mom is Persian and speaks Farsi. And I understand half of it. When you spoke about the water pattern, I remembered Pulad, Pulad in Persian, and my wife speaks Arabic, and in Arabic it's Fulaj, Fulad, Fulaj. And the modern Damascus steel and the Japanese ones I know are more layered. And when you said about the water pattern, I remembered that, that these Persian knives had a less organized pattern. It's more all over the place, like you make ripples in the water like you refer to. Right. I grew up with those patterns, but I like the modern more. And I would love to see more of these patterns. Do you know if it's very difficult and expensive to make? Why don't more use it? Well, they're two different questions. I think that it is not so much a difficult material to work with as it is a little bit structurally inconsistent from an aesthetic perspective. And, you know, you're kind of rolling the dice with a material like Damascus in the same way that we do at Arcanaut with Fordite dials. You know, James Thompson, Black Badger, he works all the time filing down these ancient pieces of Fordite into these usable, aesthetically pleasing discs that we have as dials in some of the Arcanaut watches. But if he takes off one micron too many, then the whole pattern could disappear. It could be ruined. It could become just ugly. And all of his work would be ruined. And there is something in that with Damascus steel, like the, the organic nature of the high carbon steels formation does mean that it could be really, really nice, or it could be really, really unappealing, I suppose. And then the second question as to why don't so many use it, I guess it's because it is just not that commercial. Interesting. And now that you mentioned Black Badger, and now I understand why I both love his Fortnite dials. I love them from the first moment I've saw, seen them. And I, I need me one. And it explains also why I like Damascus steel. And if I think about it and analyze it, it's very easy. No watch is the same. Not whatever Black Badges makes and um, the watch you guys make with Orkanon and him together. But also Damascus steel, no case will be the same. And that's why I love gemstones and diamonds so much. Because no gem or diamond in the world is the same. So technically you have unique pieces. So interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It is a fascinating material. And for some people, it is the difference maker. For me, it's not something that attracts me. But I know that James himself loves Damascus steel. He's worked with Patrick, Patrick Sorgan from GOS and has... A great fondness for the material and I even found him, I caught him in the Badger Den in Gothenburg recently bluing some Damascus steel and that is an interesting visual I have to say. Okay, uh, from a very, very artistic type of steel to a very, very historic and respected watch that doesn't get the due it deserves, we have a question from Edward Burra via email. He says, what is your view on the Belova Moonwatch and its history? Now, this one, I'll take this one from the top, Alan, if you don't mind, um, is interesting because Belova is a very historic company. It's done some wonderful things in the industry, most notably the creation of the Accutron nicknamed Space View movement, which 
was a tuning fork watch, uh, reputedly the first fully electronic watch in the industry, and for a time looked to be the future before it was rudely usurped by quartz technology that arrived in the 70s and kicked the tuning fork concept to the curb. But Beloba has a lot more going on behind the scenes and in its, in its annals than just the tuning fork and Accutron movement. We have the Belova Moonwatch, which was worn by astronaut Dave Scott, who was a member of the Apollo 15 mission in 1971, just a couple of years after the famous first touchdown of Apollo 11 in 1969. Now, Scott, like all NASA astronauts, was issued with a Speedmaster, which was standard kit for all of the guys heading to the moon. But he was allowed on Apollo 15 to bring along a few personal effects. And one of those effects was, in fact, a Belova Moonwatch, which visually, I would say, is more akin to a modern Speedmaster Reduced than it is the traditional Speedmaster. Go check it out. If you want to search for it, search for Belova Moonwatch. Or alternatively, for the modern iteration, you can search for the Belova Lunar Pilot, which is still available on Belova's website. Funnily enough, the crystal on Scott's NASA-issued Speedmaster popped off during the flight. So he ended up wearing the Belova on the surface of the moon. And because those Speedmasters remained government property when they returned to Earth, none of them were sold at auction in the same way that Scott's Belova was able to be auctioned. And it fetched in 2015 when it went under the hammer $1,625,000 because of its unique position in lunar exploration history. Now, Belova has, well, I'd say, to be honest, fallen a little bit from grace in the last few decades and now exists really as a nod to its glorious past rather than any anticipation of its glorious future. And the Lunar Pilot, as it's been renamed, is still available in the collection. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven iterations available in a mixture of case materials, either steel or there is one titanium with gold plated elements as well that titanium one is the most expensive in the line coming in at 695 euros the others range from 499 euros up to 550 depending on whether they have a bracelet or a strap why so cheap you may ask because they are powered by quartz movements which is a little bit of a shame for a watch that has itself its own esteemed history in the moon race so I don't know if you've ever encountered the Moonwatch or the Lunar Pilot, Alon, or whether you've had a chance to take a look at it while I've been rambling on about its background, but what do you think of it? Do you think that Belova should put more effort into maintaining its position in the industry as a rival to the Speedmaster, and would you buy one if they did? Very good questions. So growing up in Europe, I obviously got dominated by the Omega story, being the Moonwatch and the Space Watch, then Fortis, and a bit Navi Timer with the Cosmonaut with Scott Carpenter. So this whole Bolova story, I, I didn't know about it until I lived in New York. And obviously Bolova is still a name there, was a name. I believe now they're owned by the Citizen Group, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. So they are now investing in the brand again. I think they're making amazing models. I believe the Accutron models are now a separate brand. So if they've cut that loose of the Belova mother ship. Um, I think they look lovely. I love the pushes on the watch. I would actually consider buying one. 
I, I agree with you. I don't know if I want quartz. Um, were the originals quartz or not, Rob? No, the originals weren't. No. So, Bolova, please make the mechanical again, which I assume they're gonna gonna do it, and then I would consider it definitely um, because I think they look beautiful. I would wear them next to my speedy. It's not a substitute, but I would advise all those moon swatch wearers that don't yet own a steel moon watch or don't aspire to buy a moon watch. It could be a nice stepping stone to consider a stainless steel quartz Bolova. What do you think, Rob? Well, that's a really good suggestion, actually. It hadn't really come to my mind at all. But yeah, what a lovely idea to sort of go through that pathway towards the official Moonwatch, if that's something you cover in your own collection. Start off with a moon swatch, choose your color, whichever one you like, then maybe upgrade to a Bolova. I mean, the bracelet's really nice on this Bolova Lunar Pilot for what it is, you know, and there's nothing wrong with quartz technology. As you know, I've got a great soft spot for it and it does operate at 262 kilohertz it's pretty exciting isn't it that's very fast very accurate really nice for what it is and after that maybe you can step up to a speedmaster reduced although i tell you what they have skyrocketed in price i don't know if you've seen them recently but i was saying about three years ago i think it was around the time i started fratello when i was buying my first speedmasters i said to the lads you know, these speedy reduce, you can get them for around a grand, you know, 1200 1500 or buy you an absolutely box-fresh one from Japan. Okay, you got your extra import on top, but that's only 1800 for a really nice watch. And they laughed at me. They said, oh, nobody's going to buy the Speedmaster Reduce in the future. That'll never appreciate in value. That's no collectible item. And I thought, well, I don't see how it can get cheaper. And the way everything else is going, surely other people are going to follow the same train of thought that I did and look to the more affordable end of the existing collection and a model that has its history in its own right. And so they did, and now they're about 3k a pop. Can you believe it? I can, but as someone who's dealt with many of them, a warning. They are of lesser quality. The calibers are not yippee need a lot of maintenance, so more often, and the repairs, if you do it officially by Omega, are rather, rather expensive. And the straps are totally different quality. So keep in mind, high maintenance. Um, they are beautiful. They're great for a small wrist. They're automatic, by the way, not hand wound. So it's far off a real moon watch. But I, w- I expected them to go up. Why? Because the whole speedy bandwagon really took off. And everything speedy is hot. And because the original ones are rapidly going up in price, both RRP issued by Omega, but also on the pre-owned market. So it, it doesn't surprise me, but if you have more to spend, I would skip that one and buy a hand-wound one. But that's my humble opinion. Right. For this next question, for our last question of the day, I honestly feel like I need a sound effect because he's becoming a staple part of the show. It's also, you know, it's a kind of a running joke. We end on a question from Richard. Shing! Swords. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to, Get me a sword, goddammit. Like, let's next Damascus time. We meet up, Damascus steel? Damascus steel sword? Right. Next time we meet up, we'll both bring a Damascus steel sword and we'll clink them together and we'll record it as a sound drop so that whenever we have a question from Richard, we can just like drop it in there. Okay. So the funny thing about Richard's question is they always come in from different directions. You've got to be on your toes to stay up with this man. This one has come in via the contact form. All right. He says, our dear friend Richard, member of the Real Time Network, and dedicated contributor to the show what is your take on the patek philippe aquanaut (laughs) 
I called it the Arcanaut off air. I'm going to, I might start saying that now just to plug the brand. Let's presume you can get one at retail. Is it of interest to you? Or is it a watch riding the flex culture wave? Are there many other options offering better value? Or is it a true classic from a great house? All righty. Well, um, you're the Patek boy, really. So go ahead. Why am I the Patek boy? Well, I'm definitely not the Patek boy, am I? Like, you know, like it's it's obvious that like, you own a Patek. I don't own a Patek. You covet Patek. I barely even register Patek's existence. I want a couple of Nautiluses, maybe, Nautili. I don't know that, but Nautili. Uh, I love the Nautili chronographs. I love them. I do. But like, for goodness sake, if you can give me one at retail at 70 grand and then give me 70 grand to buy one at retail, I'm your best mate. But otherwise, no, Jesus, give me like, Give me an Arcanaut, give me a Laventure, give me an Anodane, give me a Schofield, give me a Nomos. No, you're the Patek boy. Take it away. I'll share my opinions. Yeah, it's your it's your forum. Okay. 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 All right. So I'm a Patek boy. I do. I have two and I love them. So I don't own an Aquanaut. I never owned one. I don't know if I ever will. So... I did own a Nautilus, gave it to my dad, a 5711, blue, way before it was a hype watch. Love it, always loved it, always will love it. Did it diminish my love by becoming a hype watch? Yes. I have one standard rule. Don't buy the hype. Buy stuff you love. So if an Aquanaut for you is the grail watch, or you just love it, or it's a true classic, Go for it. At retail, hell yes. If you have the funds to buy it secondhand or certified pre-owned or new on the secondhand market and you love it, go for it. Don't buy it because it's an investment. Is it a true class from a great house? Yes. Why don't I want it? For two reasons. It's derived from the Nautilus, so I prefer the original. And I don't really like rubber straps. Can I appreciate the design? Yes. Do I think it is a classic? Definitely. Am I happy that it's a flex culture watch? No. And I think it's stupid. So are there other options offering better value? Always. Patek is not cheap. I even dare to call it expensive. Is it worth the money? That's subjective. So for me, it is because I it gives me joy. My only guideline in value from watches is do they bring me joy do i enjoy it does it put a smile on my face every morning when i strap on a watch or even whenever i open my watch box and look at my watches so that's my guideline and i don't want to add anything more actually all right my turn i think the modern aquanaut is as dumb as a box of rocks you know (laughs) No time for it whatsoever. It's got a big old stupid face, gormless as anything, staring out at me from the wrist on those rather handsome rubber straps, in fairness, but rubber straps on a Patek. You having a laugh? No, no, it's it's no good. And it's just a, a poor man's, well, that's a ridiculous thing to say. It's a it's an idiotic rich man's Nautilus. No, I'm kidding. It's not that bad, really. Like, it's nice. It's got its uh, redeeming features. It's... I mean, it's different enough for it to be worthwhile in the collection. You know, some people will look at it and they'll see the most beautiful Patek ever made. May not appeal to me. 
obviously it doesn't but um yeah it, I, I kind of echo what you're saying about it being like a a baby nautilus maybe and uh yeah it, it is size really puts me off there is a slight wrinkle to my answer however and that is courtesy of one of the members of the real-time network sana in stockholm who works for kaplan's auctioneers up there she showed me recently a 35 millimeter patek philippe aquanaut 5060 in yellow gold 18 karat yellow gold with roman numerals and a three o'clock date window in for some reason black on white um format they always do that they do that with a nautilus and it winds me up as well but here it's really stupid if it had been white on black it would have been really subtle and really nice but anyway she showed me this watch and it's heavenly i tell you what that is class 1999 that model came from it's a beautiful beautiful elegant piece it is something very different from the nautilus somehow in its own way it could just be called a, a nautilus baby nautilus and that would be fine whatever but it's it's really really elegant it has like its own character it sits on the wrist perfectly it's quite quiet for a yellow gold watch because of its size and if i were ever to buy an aquanaut i would buy one of those and if i could afford one i would buy one of those i mean they they go on the second-hand market between about thirty and 60000 There's quite a lot of disparity depending on condition and how cheeky the sellers are feeling on the day. But yeah, around that kind of figure is what it would cost to get one of these. And I have to say, if I saw one of those on your wrist, I'd have a huge amount of respect for you because I think it's an absolutely stunning find and changes the whole line of Aquanaut to me. So it's not a complete joke. It's actually worthwhile, has its place in the catalog. And um I guess I've probably said enough. I'm feeling the red dot of Patek snipers already creeping up my back, so I better shut up. <laughs> snipers, ninjas, we have them all on the show. So, <laughs> yeah. and this is what I love that put two watch nerds together, you'll have three opinions. And, um, <laughs> and, and that's a beauty of it. <laughs> that should be our motto. That's great. <laughs> two nerds, three opinions. I love it. Yeah. And that's what it is, isn't it? Because... The longer we talk, I don't think that we would agree just for the sake of agreeing, but you you get resonance. So the, the, the metaphor of resonance and talking about resonance watches. So we kind of gear to each other, but we agree to disagree. And, and, and what did you say? It's a dull as a box of stones. I don't even know that expression. I said it's as dumb as a box of rocks, but I mean, like, that's really more of a... Normally, one would use that as a comment on someone or something's intellect. I know the Aquanaut itself hasn't got it, but I just mean, like, it just doesn't really move the needle for me in the slightest. But the old one, it really does. It really does. And talking of resonance, we've got a question in the mailbag about resonance that we will have to address on next week's show. Thank you to Yup for that one. We'll be coming back to it next week, I promise. I know it's been in the bag for a while. We've just been working through a huge backlog. It's 99% Richard's fault, but whatever, we'll forgive him because he always comes up with a good question. And in that case, it certainly generated an amusing answer. That is the end of the show today. We are going to be back next week with more of your questions and another interview. If you'd like to get in touch with us in the meantime, please do so via either Instagram, that's Rob Nudds, at R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S or Alon Ben Joseph at A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H. Otherwise, contact us via our emails, either Rob or Alon at therealtime.show or via the contact form on the website, www.therealtime.show. Please like, follow, subscribe, and share the podcast with all your friends. We look forward to having you back on the airwaves next week. Till then, stay safe and keep on ticking.